And you are listening to Love's a Secret Weapon podcast. Well, Love's a Secret Weapon community, do we have a treat for you with our next fan guest who has an insider's take on the newspaper, TV and movie businesses. Our guest name is David Link and David has lived quite a few lives in the entertainment industry. He's worked for the Los Angeles Times where he started as a copy editor before rising up the ranks. He's been the editor of a movie theatre trade magazine, an executive producer at CNN, produced documentaries for Lifetime Network, including on people I know Donna is a big fan of. Uh, He was also the West Coast producer at MTV, and the list goes on. For over 30 years, David was unit publicist for over 75, that's right, (laughs) count them, feature films. Are you ready for stories? I hope David is ready to tell stories because I and Donna are ready to hear stories. So love the secret <laughs> weapon community. Please welcome David Link. How are you today, Dave? Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Wonderful introduction. Thank you, Adam. Hello, Hello Donna. David. <laughs> Donna, Lauren, how are you? Nice to hear you. Nice to meet you virtually. <laughs> nice to meet you as well. How are you? So, How's your day going? You know, it's a beautiful day here. And my wife and I just returned from London and Paris where it was gorgeous Ooh. over there. So oh, okay. we're, we're, we are riding the wild surf, Donna. Lovely. <laughs> Enjoying life. Fantastic. Of course. And now are you, are you in Arizona, if I'm correct? I'm in Arizona and, and Adam's in Australia. And oh, you are right. in where, California? I'm in Oregon. I'm in Salem, oh, Oregon. Yeah. Okay. Salem, Oregon is the Goldilocks of Oregon. It's not Portland. It's not Eugene. <laughs> it's, just, it's just right. Just right. Okay. Well, that's where the roses grow, right? A lot of roses. The Rose City, Portland. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, but I, I lived in uh, Southern California all my life and in Los Angeles because I was part of the, uh, of the industry, as you are, and uh, found a second home there. And then I just retired up here. Well, David, it's so wonderful that you've joined us and you're on Love's a Secret Weapon podcast. I think I I know that Dr. Adam has done a lot of research, so I'm going to turn it over to him and I'm just going to blend when uh, I feel it's appropriate. Okay. Well, that's fine. And of course, you know, I have some very pertinent questions for you. Okay. Right. Well, um, I hope I hope there's no proposals because I'm all ready to say I do. <laughs> we'll keep it strictly professional this time. All that right. <laughs> In fact, I was driving home today um, and I saw three deer right next to my house and I go, oh, mm. it, it's springtime. In Oregon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so hopeful. I have to say that, you know, the environment is at the top of my list of concerns. And when I hear that nature is thriving somewhere on the planet, it makes me so happy. Well, you know, Donna, I think Oregon takes a lot of care with its, um, you know, with its environment, and it is beautiful here. I don't see trash along the highways. I see people taking care of their uh, properties and yards because so much of Oregon uh, is farmland and wineries, actually. In fact, in the Willamette Valley, where I live, there are 770 
wineries. Hey. Whoa. Oh, wow. Delicious. Well, move over. I'm there. No. There we go. <laughs> no, I, uh, I love I love to taste wine in a thimble. Uh, I'm, I'm a real teetotaler, but <laughs> I love to hear that the vineyards are ripe and ready and and I'm sure Dr. Adam would love, would love a tour because mm. I'm you're still engaging, right? I was going to well, say, what have... are you implying, Donna? But yes, I would. Very much so. <laughs> I'm I'm also a teetotaler, but my wife loves wine, mm. and so I just follow her lead. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, you know, whomever takes takes the um, the, <laughs> the leap in, into the bottle, you know, you can always, of course, with your beloved, have a taste just you know from a kiss, right? There we go. Or we just pass the thimble. Pass the thimble, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I must then, say. Mm. Oh, excuse me, Dr. Adam, but, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of roses. And so, David, you were saying that it Oregon, or actually, isn't it Ashland, Oregon, that what's his Jackson Perkins is is located there. I've ordered many roses from them. <laughs> I believe so. You know, um, Donna, Portland calls itself the Rose City. But I believe a lot of the growth is in the southern part of the state in Ashland and Medford. Now, here's a note. My paternal grandfather was a uh, an award-winning rose um, creator. Ooh. Uh, he, he was what they called a hybridist, and he would, he would make hybrids, and they were beautiful roses, colors you've never imagined. Well, and I know you, I'm a huge fan of David Austin that, you know, he's an English grower. Adam, are you are you in this uh, scope? Because I know you love the garden as well. We love the garden. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so uh, impressed with that, David, because we we used to have quite a few rose bushes at our last house. We don't at the moment here. We don't really have the, the room for them with all the other stuff we've got going on but certainly there is a park in the city that i go walk uh with my dog lucy quite regularly and there are beautiful rose gardens um there so i think there's nothing better than a beautiful smelling rose that's a beautiful color it's a real art i think what your family was doing so So do you have is your grandfather's name on one of the roses i believe he has several i one off the top of my head was called the Helen Trouble Rose. His oh, name I know Fred. that rose. That's he is Fred G. Ellis. He was based in Riverside, California. Wow. <laughs> and and he he worked for the movie industry, oh, right? Before he uh, retired and became a, a rose fancier. Well, I think I think rose, roses last longer than, than no. <laughs> I would say the films that that are the classics last a long time, but they still need some care is so do the roses i don't want to go off on a huge tangent but i have to say that one time for mother's day i went to the huntington library and Uh, walked through the first bloom of roses and you know some of their roses are dated into 1700s really yeah i just you know it's such a it's such a hidden world and then when you become part of it you see how international the rose community is Mm. really and then another, another. Just I have to tell you, I used to have a um, a white cockatoo, and I used to call her Albie, and um, I named her for the Albion rose, which is the white rose that was first uh, discovered in France. So I'm a re- I'm a real fan, and um, so please proceed if if we want to step out of the garden or stay in the garden, why not? Well, I, I had a I had something to say. I did you sing to her 
What's it all about, Albie? <laughs> <laughs> I would prefer that. Oh, no, no, I love Alfie as well. That's the name of I my know. grandson. <laughs> I played on that. But was that, was that in Hawaii when you had the cockatoo? Um, actually, no, um, it was before and, and that would be a much longer story, but I think we should move on. Okay. okay. Sure. There's so much to talk about. Let's go. We can, we can break it down. Well, we're actually going to start in a place that Donna also has a connection to given her husband, Jared is originally from Canada, but you grew up in Ontario, Dave, is that right? I'm Ontario, California. Oh, so I've completely mistaken that one, but we've, we've put in a, you, that's all Okay. Um, so you're not the first you're not yeah. the first and you will not be the last <laughs> so that's but good. I, I have to tell to... you adam the uh the town of ontario was was actually developed and formed by two brothers from ontario canada hence the name right. and they went on to australia mm. and they created another developed community there in the early 1900s wow isn't that crazy and and i'm just surprised they didn't stick new in front of ontario when they came to california because that tends to be a very american <laughs> thing to do tell us about your early life and and how how you decided to go into journalism and as well as the music that you engaged in early on well i'd be happy to i uh i'm one of, I'm one of those rare creatures i'm a i'm a native californian Mm. And uh, my dad was the postmaster. My mom was a professional artist in oils and acrylics and watercolors. Mm. And I grew up with a twin brother. And he and I were, we were into music immediately. But before we got into music, we were into the Mickey Mouse Club. And that's where we saw Donna Lauren. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I have to oh. tell you, Donna, I remember vividly your your first appearance on uh, Mickey Mouse Club, and you know, telling me that the gun was not loaded. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember thinking I was taken by you, and you had such a great, sort of a catchy growl that you would turn on in your voice, you know. And I'm going, boy, I've never seen a kid do that. Uh, <laughs> I was just kind of blown away, and I think I think the, uh, the talent on the on the screen with you, they were kind of blown away too by you. Oh, Miss Effie was her name through the West. She won her fame. She'd whip out her pistols and shoot most any guy Then sing out the alibi I didn't know the gun was loaded And I'm so sorry, my friend I didn't know the gun was loaded And I'll never, never do it again Howdy, Effie. Effie! Have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. We find the defendant not guilty. Yes, the jury all agreed that the city should be freed. But the sheriff's jealous wife was indignant, yes, indeed. 
Well, um, we really, oh yeah, we, Annette especially, um, that's when she and I first met. And uh, and then we continued working, you know, through the Beach Party movies. Right. Um, and yeah, she always, of course, she was a great ballerina. You know, she was a terrific dancer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember when I was 10 years old and she sent me a, a Christmas card and, and she said, I wish I could sing like you, <laughs> even oh. you know, at such a young age. You know, that was before teen years. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to sidetrack on that because I'd love to come back to that, but uh, I'll give you my short form. Um, <laughs> no. I, was in, I was in bands uh, 13 on. I was the lead singer. My brother oh. was a, a noted guitar player who later became a kind of a famous bass player, actually. He played with... Really? Uh, Reeves Gabrels and Reeves. I just saw him last night in The Cure here. I was his guest. Oh. Uh, he's in the band The Cure, the British band. Reeves is, is mostly known for being David Bowie's guitar player from 1987 through the 90s. And he did The Tin Machine Project with David as long as well as many of his, his uh, albums such as Earthling. And uh, then Reeves joined The Cure and with Robert Smith. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm amazed with The Cure because they just sold out the Hollywood Bowl three nights in a row, Donna. Yes, they're, oh, I think the classics, you know, from the 70s, 80s, um, you know, all of, all of the retro uh, fans are so supportive. And the Hollywood Bowl is a great venue for that. Um, I saw Tom Jones there not that long ago, and absolutely. what a talent! Yeah, uh, well, you know, talent talent will out. I mean, if you have talent, you make it through, uh, you know, a very long career because there's nothing you can't create talent. It has to be there, correct? <laughs> okay, and I, 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 had I question, agree. I had a question for Donna right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donna, you came from uh, you came from from Massachusetts, correct? Yes, Newton near Boston or in I Boston. Know- I know it well. Um, how did you rise so fast so far as a child uh, performer? And second part of this question, how did you get to California? Mm. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna do a a, a weave and a <laughs> okay <laughs> here. Am I we're getting too do... far ahead? Not okay. at all. We're, this is a lovely conversation, darling, and we'll just we'll just weave our thoughts in and out as though we're sitting across the table. Okay, Dr. Adam? Absolutely, please. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've kind of told my story. You know, I'm, I'm reading my, my memoir um, as of how many 60-plus episodes ago. Yeah. So, you know, I was born in Newton, and it was kind of a tragic situation for my mother because the um, biological father that <laughs> abandoned her and rejected um, rejected her, um, you know, uh, was located there. And within about, I think it was five weeks, uh, she was put on a plane with me and sent back to California 
where her family was. Really? And, okay. and, um, and then, you know, lost all contact. So I, I never, the only time that I know, because my mother told me many, many, many decades later, finally, that um, he came in to see me at the hospital before he told her goodbye. And I know he and I made <laughs> eye contact, even though I was probably hours old or whatever. <laughs> but um, I, I, I never had a, an ill feeling toward him ever. Of course, I didn't know that about this story until I was almost 50 years old. You know, that's that's the the from Boston to from the East Coast to the West Coast. And then I have to t- I have just have to tell you and I've probably told this on um on the podcast <laughs> that um through my memoir I I tell the story that the day that I was filming the Mickey Mouse Club I turned 10. That was on my birthday. Mm-hmm. And on the way to um Burbank I had to stop at the Board of Education downtown LA and um, be weighed in and my height had to be recorded. And then I got my social security number. <laughs> and so I could work and, you know, it would, was all legitimate and whatever. And many years later, when I finally confronted my mother, because I found out vicariously that the man who raised me was not my father. Gosh, this goes into so much depth. But that was the day on my 10th birthday was the day that whatever nominal child my mother sued this biological father for um, ended on the day that I began earning money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Just coincidentally. Thank you, Donna Zucker from Boston. That was wonderful. And now, step right up. Step right up. That's your hat. That's your hat. What a hat. What a hat. Here's your ears. Here's your ears. Reach right out. Reach right out. Time is here. Time is here. You're an honorary. So was this your first television appearance as well? And actually, well, I would say nationwide, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I In Los Angeles, there were these amateur contests that were televised. And uh, one was the Al Jarvis show and mm-hmm. Stardom. Rock, and, yeah, Rocket to Stardom. Yeah, so I did have some experience behind the camera. Um, but this, w- this was uh, the first filmed event. The others were live. Yeah, and this is kind of where it, that that was probably a big one, and and then I think as Donna's spoken about before that, you know, there were some years in between, of course, before signing with Dr Pepper, where, um, you know, you all children at that age in the entertainment industry are sometimes in a difficult age of of those, you know, um, late childhood, early teen years before, of course, um, you know, she she did a whole lot of recording, but um, signed with Dr Pepper in in nineteen sixty three, which is uh, you know, coming up to that. 60 years uh this year oh boy for, the, yeah. for, those who, for, the, for those who think young and i think donna lauren thinks young yes. <laughs> you know i i really feel like you know if you put yourself on a number mm. that you're limiting yourself so mm. um you know just, let's just be ageless and healthy and happy as i i hear that you are david and 
Um, when we started, you, you said that you and your wife just came back from a trip to Europe, and that just sounds so romantic. Oh, it was, it was wonderful, and she had never been. And mm -hmm. on top of that, we met uh, my best friend from high school over there, whose daughter is vice president of Dior. Oh, oh wow. She's, she's basically my niece, and she mm. had just had a baby with her husband. And we got to uh, have the extra, you know, extra credit of seeing them there and their beautiful life in, inside of Paris. It was a nice trip. That sounds glorious, David. Wow. I, I, I totally agree about aging um, mm. now because it, it is just a number. And, you know, we're here for such a short time that I think everybody should just enjoy their situation as much as they can and make the most of it and be kind to everybody. Thank it comes, you. It pretty much comes down to that, doesn't it? That is what life is all about. The conflicts, you know, um, Dr. Adam mm. and I have worked, you know, tirelessly on my memoir and um, it's because he's in psychology and I needed some terms <laughs> of telling my story that um, that was revealed to me so late in life. And, um, you know, you think about the paralysis that so many people are experiencing um, that, you know, they just feel powerless. And of course, uh, I'm I'm a true believer in that, you know, the energy is shifting, but for at least the last five or 6,000 years, you know, that we've been living under patriarchal dominance and conquering and war, 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 war. And yes, there's been, you know, these beautiful windows where there's tremendous creativity. Mm. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's a timelessness that we are evolving into that you're describing living in joy and not just joy for the human race, but reverence for all life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also equality for everything. Everything. Absolutely. Yes. Not Gender human equality. Beings, human beings yes. and animals. And let's have respect for this planet and let's stop a hierarchy and have just an equality. Yes. Well, here, 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 here. You have my vote. <laughs> it's easy. It's, it's, it's easy, right? It's Come really, on. it's well, yeah, it's, it's, it is absolutely fundamental in such an important time. But, you know, as, as Donna was kind of saying, when we worked on the memoir, that, that was almost like an interviewing process or, or not so much an interviewing, but a asking of questions and asking of curious questions and, and seeing, you know, what, what came up. And, and Dave, you'd probably relate to this because you studied journalism. And I, yeah. I tell you, uh, being an Aquarian, I'm, I'm interested in other people. Oh. <laughs> and how, how, how other people lead lives. And I think that is why mm. I'm so interested in film. Mm. Because film, films tell stories of other people's lives and how, how they view and uh, how they act in their lives. Mm -hmm. I think that attracted me. Um, I certainly enjoyed performing as a rock and roller. And mm -hmm. I enjoyed being on stage and commanding an audience and being with my brother. And, but I, I peeled off, um, as he continued, I peeled off into a more professional area when I went to San Diego State, and I uh, finished there as a, you know, a journalism and film major, double major. Mm. And I, I lucked into my first job at the Los Angeles Times because, you know, you go to San Diego State, you're usually not hired there unless, you're, unless it's nepotism. <laughs> and I'm just telling the truth. And um, I was lucky enough to, to 
keep focused and rise there. And I know that I did well there because not only did I work really hard, I was very friendly to everybody, mm. you know, very open. Mm. And that, that brings a lot to you. If you say hello first, you're in charge. Right. I think that's really true. And doing that, because so many people, so many people don't really know how to do that. You walk down the street, you smile at someone and sometimes they get, they get a bit taken aback before they realize this is a good thing. Albeit, I have to say, when you have a dog with you, that certainly helps um, open <laughs> people up pretty quickly. Well, the connection, you know, being a performer, yeah. Yeah. Donna knows the connection is very important. But mm. do you guys notice that um, when you walk on the streets in New York City, people look you in the eye? where they don't elsewhere. There's something about New York City, there's a directness in New York City, and it's never uh, it's never, never a negative thing. It's mm. just, who are you? Hi. <laughs> it's I'm a magnet. Yeah, I think it's a magnetism of, you know, of energy that's, that's being shared because the, how many millions of people are in New York? I recall, you know, I'm not sure how long ago, maybe 15 years ago or so, I was walking, um, you know, in Manhattan, and I was questioning my husband, you know, about something. And I saw a man uh, at a corner. And so I just, you know, because we didn't have the answer. So I said, <laughs> I, I just asked him, you know, about a, a question. And he looked at me. And he said, and I said, we're from Hawaii, because that's where we were living at the time. And he said, uh, oh, I'm from, I was born in Hawaii. I mean, what, wow. <laughs> what, are, what are the chances? But, you know, energetically, we were magnetized together. Mm. And it was such a friendly uh, you know, occasion that gave us actually a wonderful memory and um, wonderful experience. So, yeah, I, I just think it, it comes from you. And I have to say, Dr. Adam, you don't need a dog. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah. I'm sure Lucy has her own magnet. Yes, well, absolutely. She's a, she loves people. She loves other dogs. And so it's just a good experience. I think we've spoken about this before, being in a neighborhood that you, you know people <laughs> and you, you know, it's, it's, it's just a cool experience. And before we used to have, um, because there were some stables a few streets away, they're, they're still there, but there's not a running track anymore because they turned it into a baseball pitch for, for the, the young sort of young kids. It's quite a, a actually quite a big mm. baseball um, pitch mm. all over the, uh, the city. But um, we used to have horses running in the morning. So we'd go watch the horses uh, on their morning run. And, and sometimes you'd look out your window and just see them walking down the street to the park. Oh, so that was quite a, a quite charming. An experience. Yeah, absolutely. But um yeah, we're, we're getting, I know we're getting away from, from your story, so, David, but at the LA Times, tell us, what was, what were newspapers like at this time? Was this the, I don't, again, we don't want to date it, but was this the, uh, the 70s, the 80s at, at the time this you were was there? An, this was, uh, I, I joined them in 1978, mm -hmm. so uh, there were no computers. They were mm -hmm. just toying with the very first computer system called the Coyote. Coyote. And it was very, very primitive, and so mm -hmm. it was all... It was all desks full of, of paper and, uh, you know, uh, manual typewriters and people scurrying about. It's just like you think it was, you know, in the front mm. page. You know, that, that, that movie, The Front Page, which was based on a Broadway play. Yeah, great film. Just a lot of activity and um, a lot of hard-boiled old guys were still there. And I had, I had the, the quintessential newspaper uh, experience there. And I, uh, I enjoyed it, but... They called it the Velvet Coffin for a good reason. The Velvet uh, Coffin. Uh, okay. And that is, you'll stay there until you die. Very right. comfortably. Mm. And 
I wanted to move on quickly. And I, you know, as you, as you know, Donna, you put out your vibe and you attract your tribe, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just that. made that up. Hey, wait a minute. I, you I put out that. your vibe and you attract your tribe. I like that. You put that anyway. on a t-shirt and walk down Portland. <laughs> Uh, money. But, no, to get the uh, get the message out, don't you? I mean, you oh, can wear we an overshirt sure. and let it peek out, and then someone will say, "What does your shirt say?" But you know, I could sell that to Pepsi. Hmm. Well, <laughs> you don't have to turn it into moolah. You can just do it as a message. We all said later. Join the pilgrimage. We all said Pepsi here. You know, I'm just saying. I'm joking. <laughs> no, but you know, those those who worship money are in for a very sad life. You, you got that right. You mm. see it all the time. And I've I mean, worked with, I, I work with all of them, as you know. Well, well it's a me, necessity, but it's, you know, when it gets into a non-sharing kind of situation, that's when it's corrupt. Well, yes. also, there was a fantastic line in uh, the movie Wall Street, and that is, how many yachts can you water ski behind? Mm-hmm. In other words, mm-hmm. how much do you have to have? My wife just showed me Ben Affleck's new house. It's, uh, you know. It has 24 bathrooms. Why? Why do you? It's, you know, 64,000 square feet. Well, maybe he has a lot of dollars. He probably has a lot of friends. <laughs> I don't know. I work with Ben Affleck. Perhaps he does. <laughs> Perhaps he doesn't. Hey, anyway. Hey, can, I, can I just veer off? And have you seen the new film, Air? Yes, I loved it, actually. I loved it, too. Did you see it, Dr. Adam? I haven't seen it yet, but my nephew is a huge basketball fan, and he plays basketball several nights a week, so we will be going to see that sometime very soon. Oh, it is fantastic, and I just love the Ben Affleck-Matt Damon reunion, Mm -hmm. and, of course, the story and Viola Davis, and it's just fantastic. You know, I worked with Viola, and she is the most intelligent actress I think I've ever worked with. Mm. Beautiful soul. To me, that film film is, is a civil rights in the 21st century film about, as you were saying, equality. That that Michael Jordan story is, as you say, quintessential story for equality. Absolutely. And um, the whole gestalt around signing these guys to shoe contracts mm. becomes, becomes, you know, like an allegory for human nature, really. And, and how are you going to attract a Michael Jordan? Well, you're as honest as you can be with him mm. and, and his mother and his father. And uh, I just like that side of the story where Matt Damon's character decided just to be, you know, flat out honest with him. Oh, I agree. And it worked out for all for everybody, you know. And it really opened up Ben Affleck's, you know, the role that he played. Uh, not to give it away, but it opened up his heart. Right. He as the uh, the owner of Nike. Yeah. It kind of. I think it kind of reminded him what it was all about. Don't you think? So- uh, well, yes, it helped him appreciate, but it real he realized that you know it may be um, a uh, what do you call that uh, win a, a huge windfall for the company, but what would it take? You know, it's it's like open your pockets if you if you see that big of a picture, and Matt Damon obviously did, so you know he was he was able yeah to open up to it. But um, well, getting you back have to spend to his, money to make money, though, you got to spend money to make money at the right well, time. Or, you know, or if money is just energy, then you're putting your energy. You know what I mean? You put your energy out and you get what you put in. 
that's a great way to be that's a great way to think about money is that yeah. it's a form of energy that you've attracted to yourself and you've earned and you use it as a tool don't you absolutely and and you you know i've realized since the pandemic started mm-hmm. that if if i want something i usually don't get that <laughs> whatever i want what i need is what i what i eventually get it could be as simple as you know going to the market and looking for vegetables and fruit it's what you need is what's provided for you and that's yeah. the intention you set yeah that's a well, very powerful powerful lesson i think that so many of us have learned during the pandemic and that kind of not i guess sitting with what is and and really being in the present moment about what is and what is occurring and i know exactly um, you know, when we're talking about money as well, just briefly, that whole idea and, you know, psychology research support this supports this, that, you know, money in the service of you having experiences is what contributes to your mm. well-being. Money I love that. Is, is good not good point. Yeah. Very good point. Mm. And also, I think making the best of what you have is a lesson from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Making mm-hmm. the best or making things better for what you have because... I agree. Uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, COVID didn't really change our lifestyle that much here. That's great. So we didn't go out to, you know, we didn't get to go to our movies and, and restaurants. But, you know, we spent a lot of our time here together in retirement. And it did kind of put mm. a kink into travel. Mm. But, uh, you know, you're with the person you love and you you uh, enjoy what you have. And yeah. you and your, your pets bond with you a little heavier. and. Yeah, your your flowers bloom a little bigger, and hey. yeah, you realize that the time is so valuable that you know the racing around of trying to do this and do that, just to be and uh, and to go in and you know experience humility. Um, I find is you know I've said this before uh, to a couple people on the podcast, but I, I realize the antithesis of greed and arrogance is humility. Mm. So here, you know, here we had to humble ourselves, although, you know, that was that was the experience in this country and some other countries in the world, not everywhere. And uh, it was just our experience that we needed to have um, as, you know, the supposedly I'll get political, you know, the 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 America. I'm going to put it this to the America that I grew up in and you grew up in, David. Um, the the America that we grew up in is uh, is not the America that we know today. Mm-hmm. And and in neighborhoods, there's mm-hmm. certain communities. You're you're apparently you're living in a community, David, that is um, you know is reminiscent and is preserved. Uh, you know to be a, la- a loving neighborhood and friendly and and uh, beautiful. Um, that's, you know, similar to my experience as a, a young person. Um, and accidentally, where I am now, you know, I'm surrounded by nature and, you know, and blue skies, as you were describing. But <laughs> we have a long way to go for this planet to recover from what has occurred since um, the mid-40s.
I agree, and I think there's going to be a bonding event coming. I don't know what that could be, mm-hmm. but I think COVID-19 brought us a little closer together, believe it or not. And I think there might be a global situation that will kind of abolish, um, you know, countries and make us all one people again. I agree. If we're going to survive, I don't want to get too heavy, but no, I agree. It has to happen. It's going to happen, and it'll make all of this political stuff just blow away, like Dan. Well, I, yeah, I think (laughs) I love that. I think it's inevitable, and I'm going to sing you a little silly song that I used to sing to my children and my grandchildren. The dandelions in the grass—they're yellow, then they're white. They're yellow and they're white. And then you blow with all your might. And then they have no hair. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Isn't boy. That to, be, sweet? <laughs> to be Donna Lawrence kid. Can you imagine, Adam? <laughs> well, in some ways, I have felt like. Um... Yes, my darling boy. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but at the same time, I mean, Donna, you always just, you look at amazing. You are so vibrant. I've been watching some of your YouTube stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're somebody who really, as uh, Rario Speedwagon sings, you roll with the changes, you know? Well, sweetheart, I, I think the next opportunity we have, um, we should try, if you're down in, in my neck of the woods or I'm up in yours, we should definitely see each other and meet because... I think there's a real simpatico, don't you, Dr. Adam? Absolutely, yeah. No, this is this is just a great conversation because I think you realise when you talk to people and you come together through music, in this case Donna's music, but realise how much people have at that fundamental level in, in common, and that's not everyone, of course, but in this case, you know, certainly so. And what we were talking about, that idea even of the pandemic being something that brought people together, yes, you know, there was a lot of division as well, a lot of issues with that, but... I think a, a common humanity did emerge where we all realise that we're a lot more similar than we are different and we're all... And I think this kind of talks to what we're, what we're speaking about, um, David, as you were saying, when you, you left a job because you... You know, we, yeah. we did some research. Um, one of my students did some research with retirees around um, the early time of the pandemic in Melbourne here, which was really locked down for a long time. So that whole idea of being able to travel was completely out of the picture for for victoria it was just uh in in and melbourne it was just um not possible but what was found to sort of preserve people's well-being was what meaning they had in life and i think in a mm. roundabout way you know you're talking about mm. yeah the early the, those early days of you deciding what did you want and that kind of led you to go hey i i you know i'm sure you enjoyed the la times for example but you wanted to to move on to things that that perhaps had more meaning or suited your goals um well absolutely yeah. in fact let me let me continue that just quickly because mm-hmm. that's just the beginning for me when i when i was uh, I moved up to um, 
I was the financial desk assistant editor, and we had brought in uh, a young guy. He was 10 years older than I, but a young man who had won the Pulitzer from the Boston Globe in the financial mm. area. They gave him the film area to report on and he didn't really know the studios so he would come to me and i'd say well you know this guy's at paramount this this woman's at universal this they're they're in business with this person anyway uh so we became pals and he was offered the uh the uh editorship of box office magazine which was a mm. long time uh organ for people who own movie theaters it's a mm. trade magazine so i went with him and learned you know how to do a magazine and what helped me is that I became, I became a movie reviewer as well as a writer mm. and the movie reviewing is what got me the notice of every publicist at every studio. And I immediately became on, you know, I was put onto everybody's list. And so, you know, one moment I'm nothing at the LA times and now I'm somebody at box office. And from there I was hired at CNN as the head of entertainment news. So what was the first film that you reviewed? I reviewed, I know the ones that you can, I don't know, the first ones, that's a good question, but I, I can't remember the first, but I know that the ones that still have my reviews online are films like E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> oh, wow. Things like that. And here's the thing. Thank God I was right. What if I had, <laughs> what if I had, what if I had done a review of E.T. saying, oh, this is terrible. What is Spielberg doing? You know, you I mean, really know yourself, David. You really know yourself. It sounds like you came from a family that was so grounded and your mother sounds so creative. Your oh. father, you know, you came from a family that you had a stable, stationary, kind of rich childhood, I believe. It sounds like. Um, that nurtured yeah. you and You're allowed right you to, you know, to be who you were from the get-go. And what a difference it makes when you have a, an environment where you can express yourself and not be judged and allow yourself to just blossom and bloom. Um, you could have lived, you should be 300 years old. I might everything. be. For everything, <laughs> for everything you've already accomplished. Well, wait, but wait, as they say, there's more. Um, <laughs> I love after, that. After CNN, I, I was working 20, 20 hour days. I was coming in at five in the morning and directing wow. the news. Yeah. Cut in with, <laughs> with my bureau chief being my talent. You talked about shaking your knees. And uh, then I would go do all the, you know, the stories of the day. And I would be up at night on the Mike Douglas talent show i mean a, a tv show putting the mm. talent on there etc mm. anyway i was lured away uh to do two television shows for a company that had a contract with uh abc hearst television which is now a lifetime uh donna you'll love this um the host of one of my shows was gloria steinem oh who is a wonderful woman oh, and yeah. a mentor to me and oh I, she's a mentor she, she became a mentor during wow, that that's time. Tremendous. And so, how much contact did you have with her? Six months of. She was a very honest, direct, beautiful person who. She is beyond her years, and she was. Uh, you know, my my contact with her. I was with her for six months, and I was basically writing um, questions because she was interviewing people for an hour a show. Walter Cronkite, mm. Tony Morrison, Alice Walker, Julian Bond. Oof you know, fantastic people. And I would do a little research for her. And then she and I would discuss 
where she was going to go with these people, but she knew most of them. Yeah, and, of and the, the funny thing is that the other show we did at the same time was Helen Gurley Brown's show, which was based on Cosmopolitan magazine, and she mm-hmm. was, it was like working the other side of the street. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was much more. Um, were you so you were in New York with her? I was uh, actually. We flew uh, Gloria out to Los Angeles, and we oh. did a lot of our of our shooting in San Francisco's Fairmont Hotel. I see. Right. Okay. okay. Uh, we would meet it. We would meet in New York, but most of it was done in Los Angeles, and all of Helen Gurley Brown's stuff was done in L.A. In her own way, she was just as fascinating as Gloria Steinem. When we were writing well, years ago, we we uh, we had a revolution from within as a regular companion, one of Gloria's books, and and we would mm-hmm. refer to that one quite often, Donna. Oh, definitely. I am so happy that she is still around to witness and her incessant. I mean, she's a spiritual warrior and um, she never gives up. Amazing. I I just adore her and um, respect her completely. And I'm just thrilled to to speak to someone who, who spent so much valuable time with her. Oh, believe me. And I had a little crush on her, too. (laughs) I bet. I bet. You know, um, she was in love with the, uh, and I think lived with for a long time, um, the uh, pentathlete Rafer Johnson, who was black. Mm. Wait and, a minute, uh, How, at what age? Because I know the only time she married, I think she was 63. Right. And, this was earlier. And he, this did was he earlier. die? He, her husband died after only, what, three years? Yeah, I, I don't think she married Rafer, but he died. I know who you're talking about, uh, Donna. That's uh, that was Christian Bale's father that I think Gloria Steinem married quite late. Oh, really? Yeah. Did she? Must have been in the '90s or something. Then, um, when you say when she was 63, that would be about right. Um, yeah. Late '90s. Yeah. But she's just a, a guiding light for so many women. I, I can only imagine how she feels about this uh, Supreme Court ruling. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we uh, we got a lot of work to do, as you say, a lot of work to do mm-hmm. now. And a lot of praying and, 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 and praying for miracles, but, but holding, holding the energy of exactly how you started this conversation, being in joy and seeing the blue skies, looking up at the heavens and, you know, and smiling from your heart to all you encounter, making that eye contact. And, you know, no one feels like they're alone when, when you do that, even for a split second. There's a connection. Well, it's a gift you're giving somebody you're passing on the street. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I think another lesson I learned early on in life was that you treat, and I think most successful people do this, you treat the CEO and the guy mm-hmm. cleaning up his office the mm-hmm. same way. Yep, yep, yep. And the yep. actors I worked with in films, um, oh, quickly, um, after CNN I, and, and the Gloria Steinem shows, I became... Uh, publicity manager 20th Century Fox Pictures and did that for a couple of years to find out how to make films because I was planning to produce and write, right. which I also did. Uh, I really? left I left after two years. I became a screenwriter and producer. I sold uh, a movie to Vestron um, that didn't get made. I had one to Disney, the partner and I had sold that didn't get made. Mm. And that's when I found the unit publicity job in 1987 which is an old job 
um, the studios had it. It's it's the publicist on set. It's the publicist mm. on location with the film as it shoots, whether that's in a soundstage in Los Angeles or mm. out in the middle of nowhere, mm. where I've been many, many, many times. And uh, I found my perfect job, Donna. As, as you know, when you when you're in the groove, like when you're at Shindig, when you're you're in the American International Pictures, it's like you can tell you're in your soft spot as they say in baseball you're in the groove and and you just you just go right and you just let it carry you along and that's what i did for 75 movies and i'm glad Mm. i did it and i'm glad also that i did not become a producer and screenwriter because i just think there was so much negative energy in that part of the Mm -hmm. business the closer I got Mm. the more negative the more negative i got and and Mm. i just i didn't want to be taken there yeah, so I'm much happier for what I chose to do. Absolutely, and, and with the unit publicist, because I know a lot of our listeners are going to be quite interested in this. So that's that's yeah. ensuring that the production uh, has enough, say, photography to do with the production and publicity material. Tell us, tell us about that, Dave. Uh, Adam, you're right on, Dr. Adam. Um, what I'm doing is I'm. Um, this is the way I used to liken it. I'm the camp counselor. And I'm with your kid at camp, and you don't want to hear from me unless your kid breaks his leg. <laughs> so you're you're trusting me to take care of your child. Mm. You're, you're trusting me to take care of your of your of your child and have that child have a good time. And what I'm doing is I'm getting all the publicity materials started for you. Mm. The behind the scenes video, which is called EPK, mm. Electronic Press Kit. Uh, it's a big part of it. Or was um, mm. I write the I write the production notes later at the end of the thing. I take care of all the uh, the mayors and congressmen and senators who want to visit my set. Um, I take care of the whims of my star. Uh, if mm. Ben Affleck kids want to go somewhere, I'll smooth that out for them. Um, I I have a still photographer I work with every day, and I oversee mm. his or her work. And we pick the best, and we send them along to the studio every day. And I'm just basically their contact because they can't send a person from the studio. And since I worked at a studio before I did this, mm. I kind of was in an interesting spot because I knew what they needed, not only from the studio, but from the TV side, the, the radio side, the magazine side. I knew what everybody needed. So when I had people visit the set from those entities um mm-hmm. you know i knew what they needed to get their pieces and that was another big part of the job so i loved it and it was paid vacation come on <laughs> i mean I, I have to you know analogize that you know it's kind of like a, a person that wants to become a chef you know they have to start by sweeping the floors and then learning each step along the way and the way your life took you on your path it gave you all the experiences for you then to observe later on and put it all together in mm-hmm. such a fair-minded way um, that everyone could trust. That's a very good way to put it. And uh, as Cher has once said, success is 90% showing up. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and, and working on yeah. that thing, Dave, like you were saying, that you, you did all those things that led you to this place. And maybe there wasn't necessarily always a plan there, but you, you had some idea of where you wanted to go or what was working and what wasn't. And it, it all sort of came together so that you could do this job where you had all that experience to draw on. 
Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating. All of us can look back and see there are certain things that had to happen mm. in the order they happened for us to be successful and have our lives go the way they went, whether it was the people you met or married or the jobs you had. Mm. But I look back and if, if this one certain person hadn't hired me here, I wouldn't have gone here. Kismet, right? Well, yes. And, and again, going back to really having such a beautiful foundation that, you know, you could cultivate your intuition and make the right decisions all along the way. If, if there was a misstep or, or, or a little, you know, hiccup, uh, it sounds like that they weren't major. It sounded like you had a really strong, strong foundation to mm-hmm. make great, you know, have wonderful, I'm going to call it delicious discernment you know, in knowing what to do with your life each, each um, you know, time you made a, a move from here to there to, and then bingo, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, you just, you make the most of it. And also you learn from people that you work with. And um, when I started working on films, for example, uh, and you'll probably echo this, I would um, I'd study the people that I, uh, I most admired. Mm. and the way they treated people and it was almost always someone who treated people well mm. and i learned from that you know each step of the way you know i want to be like hugh jackman i want to be like dwayne johnson mm. i want to be like kate winslet three of my favorites mm-hmm. um you, you you see that yelling and screaming on a movie set or mm-hmm. on a shindig uh, <laughs> soundstage it's just somebody who is not confident in themselves. Yeah, it's 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 what I call a distorted ego. <laughs> yes, and I'm sure. I mean, in the music business, and uh, and I I believe that your your first your first marriage was to someone who was deeply in in the in the music business, correct? Oh, and, oh, definitely. Although, um, you know, <laughs> I also believe in karma, so. You know, whatever we come in to experience is is you know is who we are, and of course we have choices along the way. But um, yeah, you know, I was around I was around a lot of um, masters mm. all along the way. Actually, um, from the beginning, I would say, uh, as a child, I was I was always meeting meeting masters in in their field and. And that resonates with you. You know, um, you think about people that receive and, and egotistically, they know, they know that it's not coming from them. It's coming through them. And they have to, as you say, show up to document it. And just like going back to Mozart, you know, he had to be there as a child, you know, to receive this, this beautiful music you know and be ready to document it and then you know share it with the world so Mm. yes yes um i met just i was around a lot of incredible masters and you know who just like you you had your experience with with the the top and so did i well i had a question for you here donna um i want to know how you became an actor after being, you know, because not every singer can become an actor, but you became an unbelievably versatile actress. Um, was it just something that was in you or did you develop it or is it a combination? That's really, um, it's kind of perplexing because I never thought of myself as, as an actor. Um, it, was, it was all about performing and um, adapting myself and 
it, you know, the, the first real role that I had was on Dr. Kildare mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and literally, <laughs> literally, uh, I had Mark Daniels as, a as a director and the night before I was studying the script and, you know, it, it, of course, the line that I was supposed to say had a parenthesis direction and then she cries. And um, I, uh, I couldn't sleep all night. So, of course, I was all adrenaline out. And when I showed up for for the reading uh, and saw that instruction on the script page, the tears, I, well, all they could do, you know, he and the, I've forgotten, I think it was uh, Gene Roddenberry or somebody like that who was the uh. producer, you know, the, all they could do was give me Kleenex because I couldn't stop crying. Um, <laughs> and, and then they had to hire me right on the spot to, you know, stop me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, I don't know, 18 or 19 years old and I still had to be uh. chaperoned. And, you know, and of course my adopted father was, always there as my manager so i wasn't alone that was my other question who was your protector to tell you the truth it's quite complicated it was a real role reversal when i was seven years old and i've told the story from my memoir um i was sat down for my first business meeting with my my mother and my so-called father who was not my biological father and they put it to me that uh, they thought that I could be the breadwinner in the family, and what wow. choice would I would I, do? I want to work in a five and dime and be a nobody, or do I want to be somebody? And 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 if so, they would figure out how to buy some singing lessons for me, and I would start performing and working. Mm. And and literally, wow. I I sat there, and all I could do was shake my head yes because. I, I just wanted to feel like I belonged and had a home. And, you know, I, I was made to feel so insecure in, in that moment. But uh, it, it somehow, I don't know if it was through God or spirit or my angels or whatever, it clicked mm. in and, um, and my parents became literally like the children and I became the adult. And it was that way until I retired. Oh my! I had no idea. That is that's an amazing story. It's, I can't believe that. I, I, oh, you're an old soul. You have to be. To, uh, <laughs> an, <laughs> age, an ageless old soul. <laughs> I think so. I think you, you, to to navigate that as a child. Well, oh you know, my. I just I just feel. I remember, I, I, uh, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, Adam, mm. but um, I share it with both of you now. I just recall at such an early age, I think I was three, that I was put in a situation um, where I was the only child and there, it was just full of adults and they were all drinking. Mm. And not not like, you know, alcoholic, just partying. Mm. And yeah. I didn't like the smell of the alcohol. But I entered the room they were in with this feeling, you know, that I love life. I love life. And I had this juxtapositioning of feeling like I didn't belong, you mm-hmm. know, because, because I was not given the truth about, you know, my biological father. And so I always had a feeling I didn't belong, but I also knew I loved life. 
And so I've always had that vertical connection with spirit. Nobody taught me. I just had it. And I have it. I have it. That's how I live. And it has nothing to do with religion or any kind of structure. It's just a connection that I have with life and love. And yes, I've gone off the rails sometimes um, because I guess we all do. And then you just have to face the consequences. But, you know, loving life is, is something that you do come in with. And so I guess that's what helped me with the, the burden that was kind of put on to me in, in a way that um, I could serve. I just felt like I could serve them and I could serve whatever came my way because that's just the way it happened, just like with you. Amazing. I, uh, you, did you have an influential agent or manager that? Well, that my, adopted, my adopted father, the man that, you know, I called dad, um, was my manager. Uh, that's, he, he was actually kind of like your mother was a, was an artist. He was an art, he was an animator and uh, worked at all the studios. You know, he had his issues and he, you know, there are adult bodies all over this planet that look like they're adults, but they're still functioning as very small children. You know, I mean, I feel, I feel so much empathy, you know, because of whatever I've been through and um, the people that I've touched and I've, you know, some I've hurt along the way because I've been hurt. And, um, you know, there's uh, sometimes there's forgiveness. Sometimes there isn't, you know, there's sometimes there's a stigma and it just gives me the ability to empathize and, but also observe the dysfunction in in so many, too many uh, people on this planet. And I do agree with you, and I'm in alignment with you, David, and, and my dear Dr. Adam, I love so much, that we are coming to a, a threshold where we're crossing over into more of a, a, a unanimity, a, an equanimity that you know, we're all going to wake up to, and it's going to happen really fast. I agree. I totally agree with this. And I don't tell many people because, you know, they'll look at me like, huh? But I think it's obvious and very simple that that has to happen. And it'll kind of shake all of these loose apples from our trees. Mm. And we can maybe be a lot more clear about what life is before it's over. You know, I mean, this this planet, we don't own this planet. It owns us. We're, we're, we're tenants. Come on. Yep. We've only we been are, here a short are, amount of we time. Are, we are shepherds of this planet that have been very distorted, you know, and but that's our lesson. And maybe in the mm. future, it'll be a blink. Um, but anyway, yes, <laughs> it's inevitable <laughs> that we're reaching this, this threshold and, um, and I just want to encourage all of our listeners that have the courage to stay steady on your path and live life the way that mm. this beautiful man, David Link, is explaining oh. how his life has gone along. And even if your life has been traumatic or whatever things that have happened to you, you can take one little experience and expand on it and emphasize that 
and and let go try and let go even a little bit or a little bit each day let go of the past that that you may be holding on to and creates an emotional uh, paralysis and allow yourself to experience some freedom so that you can expand into the new earth consciousness. I, it, and sometimes it'll be very easy to do. We put up way too many barriers in front of ourselves when all you have to be is direct and honest Thank with you. yourself and the person next to you. It's, it's the barriers are gone. And, and also be confident, you know, in what you're saying. Don't just say anything and expect people to believe you. Mm. You got to back it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, right. And I think, I think some people have lost the ability to discern that. Well, because Uh, there's been such a systematic disempowering through, you know, through our our political and religious and whatever, you know, institutions that, you know, have served us in some ways, but have been more too authoritarian in many other ways. So, you know, I'm just (laughs) spouting off. I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, there's, and I think the, the challenge for people today, and, and particularly young people perhaps, is not necessarily having to know things the, the way we were taught in the past of you learn facts, say, at school. Although that's still important, but you can find those facts in all sorts of places now. It's a lot more accessible. But what we're taught, that idea of discernment, that being able to discern what is truth and what is not truthful what can I trust and, and what can't I trust? That's that's the what I think kids and young people need to learn now is that it's not so much about knowing facts anymore because they can find them, but that ability to discern. And, and that's a difficult one when there are so many of these structures or powers that kind of try to obscure that for their own well, you know, we, purposes. When we grew up, we had Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather. And we that's had right. A, we had a, a you know a, a united media, and now uh, the cynicism that has snuck into certain parts of the media. That if you're only watching that mm. channel, mm. you know what I mean. Then that's <laughs> what you think the world's about, and that's what you think that you know. As Kellyanne Conrad said, "Oh, we have alternative facts." <laughs> It's not a fact. So not to get political, <laughs> but do the homework and discern what is truth and follow it. And it, mm. it, don't don't be stupid about it. And don't be don't be fearful because I think that they mm, use fear. I think yeah, that's yeah. the word. Fear shortcuts at all. Yeah, that is the the great disenabler. Yep, absolutely. Yep. I mean, it goes back. It goes back to the you know what happened in Germany in World War Two. Basically, it's all based on fear. And um, and that's when, you know, there can be control. If if there's no fear, then, you know, you have you have the courage to go in and see your truth and feel your truth and be able to speak your truth under any circumstance, whatever risk you have to take. TriStar Pictures presents. This is it. You're finally rid of me. Sally Field. I think you'll be back every now and then. Dolly Parton. How's your family? Louie brought his girlfriend home, and the nicest thing I can say about her is all of her tattoos are spelled correctly. I'm Ugh, leave me alone. Shirley MacLaine. I'm not crazy, Malin. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. 
Daryl Hannah. Mr. I swear to you that my personal tragedy will not interfere with my ability to do good hair. Olympia Dukakis. Looks like two pigs fighting on the blanket. Julia Roberts. I'm gonna make you very happy. I want a child of my own. Your poor body has been through so much. Why would you deliberately do this to you? Diabetics have healthy babies all the you time. You are special, Shelby. Time has made them close. Life. She's gonna have a baby. Go get a doctor. Has made them friends. <laughs> Steel Magnolias. The funniest movie that will ever make you cry. I thought we what we would do is just some of the, the people you've spoken about and, and some of the movies. Why don't you give us a, a bit of a, a bit of a summary or a bit of a pricey of just some of the memorable ones. I mean, looking at your resume, there's stuff like Three Men and a Baby, Steel Magnolias, The Bodyguard, yeah. Jumanji, Brokeback Mountain, and it goes on and on. And probably a lot to distill 30 years of work. But tell us some memorable experiences or some challenging ones or, you know, people you've enjoyed sure. working with. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the most challenging one and the richest one was Mississippi Burning mm. because we shot that was Alan Parker directing, God bless his soul, mm. uh, Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe's first big movie. Uh, he became one of my best friends in the business mm. as an actor. Mm. Um, you know, we were called in our hotel rooms by the KKK telling us they were going to kill us the next day. <sighs> well, I don't mean once. I mean, yeah. throughout the movie, they, your phone would ring in your hotel because, and you'd you'd answer the phone, and they you'd hear this voice. So that was a rich experience because mm-hmm. we shot it right there. We shot it right there, and right in front of everybody. And it's like we're doing this movie because it's true. You know, don't cover up things like they're trying to do now within schools, covering up the history of the United States. No, this this is what happened, so it won't happen again. And I did another film along the same way with the same producer, Fred Zolo, who's married to Barbara Broccoli of James Bond producing. Mm, mm. And Fred's a big time, um, wonderful Broadway producer on his own uh, and has done several other movies. Anyway, he he also did, uh, I also did with him Ghost of Mississippi, which is about yeah. the murder of Megar Evers. Mm, with Alec Baldwin and, and Whoopi. And... Yeah, Alec Baldwin and Whoopi and James, uh, James Woods, who got yeah. nominated for an Oscar. Mm. We shot that right at Megar Evers' home where he was shot. We shot oh it right there, Rob Reiner wow. directing. We shot it in that town. And luckily, this was in 96, mm. Uh, Mississippi Burning was was 88. Now, by 96, I wasn't getting that phone call. Wow. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Things had changed. Mm-hmm. But I got to know the Evers family. And, you know, Merle Evers became the, the head of the NAACP. Um, her kids are in are in the movie. Uh, Martin Luther King's daughter's in the movie. Mm-hmm. I got to know the King family. You know, you. Amazing. Donna, I'm sure this happened to you. You you do a project, but you meet somebody through that project that you never thought you'd meet and become friends with, and there you are with well, somebody I'm you blown, never dreamed you'd be with. Right? I'm blown. I'm blown away by your experiences. They're very rich. That was very rich for me. Mm-hmm. I also did the first Steel Magnolias. Ah, fantastic! With that cast, and I had the time of my life with Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had the time of her several lives with you, I'm sure. She's, you know what? She's very cool about that. She's very down to earth, actually. And she and I got off talking about, you know, alien contact and exactly. other worlds. And 
and and souls and i mean she and i ride we were right on the same wavelength mm -hmm. she come into my room um we were shooting the interiors at, a, at the university there in Natchez, Louisiana, and uh, all of our offices were the offices of the coaches of the women's gym because they were gone for the summer, so mm -hmm. we had their, their offices, and I, my office was between Ray Stark, the producer, and mm -hmm. Herb Ross, the director, and here's Lee Raziwill running around my hallway. Oh, she, was she was married to Herb Ross, and um, Shirley McLean would come into my office uh, once in a while, and she'd plop down and say, well, what's in the New York Times? And I'd always have it for her. <laughs> That's right. And here, here's the funny thing, you guys. I'd be saying something like, well, you know, in Australia, this guy's doing this or that, and the prime minister says this. She goes, mm. oh, I dated it. She says, yeah. oh, I dated that. I dated that guy. She mm. did. I remember that, yes. She was quite a woman, and, and you know, guys, she was 53 when I worked with her, mm. and she, it's, it's eight, what's age? It's nothing. Exactly. That's exactly it. And just thinking space. about that cast, Dolly Parton, There's... Sally Field, Olympia Dukakis, uh, uh, who else was in there? Daryl Hannah, Julia Roberts. Incredible. Oh, very good. Adam, Adam, way to go. Uh, I'm a big fan of Steel Magnolias, I have to say. <laughs> well, you know, Bobby, Bobby Harling, who wrote it, mm. uh, became a friend of mine. He, uh, you know, he wrote that as therapy because of the death of his sister. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. he wrote it. He wrote it. Um, he wrote it as a straight play. And when mm -hmm. they mounted the play for the very first time, uh, it got laughs. And he thought, "Uh oh, this, uh -oh. Is a this is a comedy." And so he rewrote it as a comedy. And uh -huh. there it is. Tremendous. Oh boy! Yeah. Talking about listening to your heart. Oh. Right. Right. And and Bobby went on to become a very successful screenwriter, by the way. Um, he did e Evening Star with, with Shirley, and yep. uh, he did uh, mm -hmm. Soap Dish with Sally. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Sally Field. And, uh, but, you know, what a, what a rich little stew, you guys, to be in this little town. By the way, Natchez, Louisiana goes back to 1540. Mm -hmm. It was where the Spanish landed when they were coming up the river. Mm. And they, they made a settlement there in 1540. So it has a lot of ghosts. And yeah, imagine. They, it was funny. I'd be, I'd be shopping in the Piggly Wiggly on Saturday. Yeah. And <laughs> there's Sally. And there's Daryl Hannah, and who, was, who was with uh, Jackson Brown at the time. Mm. Mm. And bre breaking up with Jackson Brown. So when you see Daryl Hannah's performance, she's very unhappy. She's going through a breakup. She's mm. going through a breakup. Now, guys, I did Brokeback Mountain. Mm, uh, mm. Both of the young men in that wonderful movie that should have been Best Picture of the Year if people had any guts yeah. to vote for a film about the gay experience. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. They, uh, Both of those young men were going through breakups. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Heath Ledger, God bless him, mm -hmm. fell in love with Michelle Williams. Mm -hmm. um, yep, yep during shooting and so his soul was being healed during the mm -hmm. movie beautiful because he had broken up with naomi watts from mm -hmm. australia mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and at the same time jake gyllenhaal who i'd worked with when he was 12 in city slickers oh wow <laughs> <laughs> was breaking up with uh, kirsten dunce who i worked mm -hmm. with a few months just... <laughs> and Michelle Williams, I worked with when she was twelve in feces. So you never know the twelve year olds. Uh -oh. Yeah, well, exactly. you never know when the gun's loaded. Uh, now, Michelle Williams, I have to say, 
you know, I'm not a big fan of biopics, but when she played Marilyn oh, and yeah. and uh, Gwen Verdon, I mean, it's so difficult to try to become, you know, one of these mega personalities, iconic people. And she was able to do it. I love that uh, that uh, TV production with Gwen Vernon and Fosse. It was oh, yeah. fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. I'm uh, interesting you, you point that out. I thought she was seamless. It truly, because I'm a huge damn Yankees fan. I mean, Gwen Verdon, oh my God. God, so am I. <laughs> we have I a lot work, in common. Don, I used to work there. I used to watch damn Yankees as a kid every day on Million Dollar Movie on Channel 9. Well, you've <laughs> got to have heart. That's right. Miles and miles and miles of heart. I, uh, I just love all the songs, you know, and uh, the performances. And oh Gene, my God. Stap- Gene Stapleton's in there. Oh, my gosh. Whatever Lola wants. Oh, I oh, love yeah. that. I love Damn Yankees. Hey, everybody, give it a, give it a chance. Get your popcorn out and, and yeah. your baseball hat and, and watch, watch Damn Yankees. I love that movie. And Ray, Ray Walton steals the show. Oh, yeah, Ray oh Walton. My God. Perfect. Oh. You know, I went to... Uh, there thing about... are cannibals munching <laughs> up. A missionary luncheon. luncheon. <laughs> <laughs> she knows this. I, uh, I went to, you know, living in Hollywood afforded me, especially when I was younger, a lot of chances to meet. A lot of fantastic people. I met mm-hmm. I met and interviewed James Stewart, John Wayne, Bob Hope, all oh. of them. As many as I put my hands to. But also my twin brother and I, he was also in town producing mm-hmm. and doing his thing. We would go to, uh, you know, whatever was at the Hollywood Egyptian, you know, the, uh, the film society stuff, uh, movies where people who were in the movie would appear after the film. and The and American Cinematheque, yes. The American Cinematheque and the Directors Guild. And the That's Academy. right. And one time at the Academy, they had the whole cast of Damn Yankees. Oh. Oh, wow. And there they all were, all the way down to Ray Allen, who played the uh, female reporter. Mm. Oh. Oh, oh, my God. How funny. Yeah, she, she was too curious about Joe. It's like, who are you? That's right. <laughs> There's no record of a, you know, Joe Hardy and yeah. Uh oh. But I have right here in my uh, in my basement where I have a lot of my Hollywood stuff. I have a signed album from that night from everybody. Oh. Gwen Verdon, Ray Walston, Ray Allen, Tab Hunter, who was a beautiful. Oh. Oh my God! Yes. Donna, you must have known him, right? I did not know him, sweetheart, but I do uh, honor him and respect him. And sorry, he's he's a, he's one of our angels now. I know. God bless him. I um I, I want to ask you a question, Donna, about um I want to take you back to your American International days, where you know you were working on films that sometimes they would have Buster Keaton in that film mm-hmm. or Keenan Wynn in that film. Mm-hmm. I mean, were you able to ever chat up any of these older actors that you knew and mm. just to say I hello? Was, and... I was, well, I was constantly on the set with them. And of course, they would be, you know, within arm's length. Um, yeah. My life, my life was surrounded by a Dr. Pepper representative, you know, from Dallas, from the main office, always keeping an eye on me and my adopted father managing me would keep me on a very short leash. And so 
I was very, very um, not isolated, but I was kind of restricted from socializing. And everyone knew that Dr. Pepper was one of the sponsors. And so here I am there, you know, they're chosen one to expand the business through the commercials and reach the teenage audience. And I'll tell you, which I've, I've told this story before, the way that American International found me was through Dr. Pepper because the grant advertising agency out of Chicago was representing Dr. Pepper. And ah. the CEO was a also a screenplay writer who co-wrote Muscle Beach Party. Mm-hmm. Robert Dillon. Who Dillon's. was that? Do you yeah. remember the name? Robert Dillon. Oh, my. And so I was put in as product placement. And then when the musical director, um, I can't remember his last uh, name, but Al... Al Sims, thank you, Adam. It, you know, oh. knew that I was. He heard my commercials, and so um, he introduced me to Dick Dale, and he said, "You're going to do a duet with him on a Brian Wilson song." And so, you oh. know, that's 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 how that whole thing started. So everybody knew on the set that first of all there was a representative from the headquarters of Dr Pepper there, and and that I was there. You know, what do you call that? <laughs> you know. Their source of sponsorship, and so I was kept. I was kept a just a like a what do you call that? Six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. I was about right. three degrees of separation <laughs> from everyone. And the only one that I really ever had conversation with was Annette because she and I knew each other from before, and right. so we had right. we had that in common. It was a, a kind of a unique situation where again I could walk by Stevie Wonder when he was like 12 years old, I could walk by his dressing room and see him working on his homework, you know, and I was around everyone. And I was so thankful that Don Rickles never picked on me. because Yeah, he couldn't, because again, you know, I had this protective bubble around me, but he never held back, you know, doing his shtick with everybody. But I was the only one that that was spared. So But I do believe, you know, in behalf of the Beach Party movies that, you know, the whole idea of the surfing phenomenon that is so pervasive today. And of course, many, many people who have never experienced the ocean was given that experience vicariously. So, you know, it was it. Yes, it was fun. Yes. But I think it really um, showcased, you know, gave you a kind of an insight to the future of a sport. That is so much more than a sport. And I, I think it also, it, it put uh, a nation's focus on Southern California in a way. That it oh, never, Malibu. Oh, God, yes. You know, kids, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm a humble man named Jack Good. I'm also the producer of Shindig. I thought it might amuse you to know that the Beatles are coming! <laughs> And here you are in the middle of the maelstrom, and then and then Shindig kicks in, right? And oh, TV. indeed, indeed, yes. And and of course, my my golden <coughs> ticket was uh, producer Jack Good, and who was again a very spiritually based person, and um, treated me with the utmost respect, and gave me autonomy. He gave me my own dressing room. He gave me a a fashion budget, you know, and. Um, allowed me not to choose songs myself, but 
to give me the choice of songs. And um, that was a whole new experience for me. Oh, did you choose those songs like Goldfinger and things like that? Well, they were and, presented to me and they wouldn't say it's uh, mandatory. Here's this. This is what you're doing. They would say, do you like it? Let's try it out. And and when it was compatible, then we went forward. I saw you do a fantastic version of Shaken All Over, which I first oh, heard on the Who's, the Who's album, Live at Leeds. But you, you did a f- unbelievable version of that. So I'll tell you a funny story. And are you familiar with Jack White? Of the White Stripes? Yes. Yes, of course. Okay. So my son, who is a drummer, was working with Jack White on the um, Wanda, ja- Wanda, Jackson, yeah, Wanda, Wanda Jackson. Wanda Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And um, he he did a kind of a revival album with her and featured Shaken All Over. So in Los Angeles, uh, I went to a concert with my son provided me with and Uh, I was up in the loge area where, you know, the performers and people are kind of away from the audience. And after the show, uh, (laughs) my son was standing next to me and and Jack White comes up and, you know, standing with Joey and and he sees me. He comes over to me and and he says, you did Shaken All Over on Shindig, didn't you? And that was the he went on. He went on YouTube. I know. And then. In front, my son was like standing right behind my shoulder, and and Jack White just gave me a juicy kiss right on the lips, and my son was like, "What are Yikes. you doing?" <laughs> and then as as he was leaving, he took one step away, and he came back for a second. Oh, that bastard! You know, I worked with no, him. No, I want to. I, I want to work with him after that. Are you kidding? Oh, yes, okay. please, Jack. All right. He, uh, mm-hmm. I did a movie, a movie that Jack played Elvis in, um, for really? life. It was called Walk Hard with John C. Riley. It was uh-huh. a take oh, on, on yes. a biopic on, on a, a fictional icon, a musical icon. It's played for laughs. It has Jenna Fisher in it, and uh, Jack White plays Elvis, and he's very funny. Very <laughs> funny. Oh, I have I to look at that. About that. Yeah. Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That's believe right. me. Oh, that's so funny. I have seen it, but I did, you know, I didn't remember that Jack White was in it. He's all over the place. I mean, my favorite album that he's done with Nora Jones is um, uh, Rome. But if you like, um, what's his name? Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you like that type of music, um, listen to Rome if you've never heard it, because it's it's that music take and um, Jack White and Nora Jones are on the album. My brother and I both loved and played a lot of music from Neil Finn and Crowded House. Oh, okay. Who are wonderful, uh, you know, they're Australian slash New Zealand. Yeah. 
band. And uh, my wife and I just saw Crowded House last week. Oh, great, great. Yeah, we, we oh. saw them a few years ago. Well, we saw we saw him when he was doing some of his solo stuff with his wife. But yeah. But yeah. Donna, that's my gift to you. Uh, among Thank many, you, I'd Donna. like to give you mm-hmm. this this conversation is your discovery of Crowded House and the work of Neil Finn, who people call the Paul McCartney of New Zealand. Oh, man. But Crowded House is so beautiful. The first album, especially, there's a song called Don't Dream It's Over. Yes, yep. Oh, just start with that. Just YouTube that. Don't don't Dream It's Over. Love that. by, By Crowded House, and it will transport you. Thank you. In fact, you might want to even sing that song. Ooh, well, thank you. I'm always up for learning. That's why. That's why you're Donna Lauren. You're, you're open. <laughs> hey, you're David. Open, hey, you're David. Open my, to new my, cup, my cup runneth over. <laughs> well, you're. You know what? You you put your cup out there, and some rain will fall on it, right? Mm. Or maybe a symbol but of you, wine. You never know. You got to uh, put well, the symbol out. If you don't put the symbol out there, you yeah, put no the symbol out. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you have a list? For, or, or... <laughs> hey, you, oh, you guys, this has just been fabulous. Honestly, we could go on and on. I know, and it... You are someone that we can grow with and, and come back to um, at some interval because uh, inspiration is the underlying topic of this conversation and many people who will understand, you know, the message that comes through uh, among all of the jibber jab, you know, (laughs) and all of the information, there's a lot of wisdom that we, that we're expressing and that we're sharing. And, um, and we love, we love our, our, our community of loves a secret weapon because that's what it is. It is a secret weapon, and love is my favorite four-letter word. There we go. <laughs> hey, all, all you need is, right? Yeah. Thank That's you, what the David. Beatles, 
Same here. So nice to talk with you. Many, many blessings to you and all of your beloveds. Mr. Goldfinger